have your Bible with you, turn with me to the gospel according to Mark, chapter 3. New Testament book of Mark, chapter 3. This morning we will begin the section, uh, verses 7 to 19. Mark chapter 3, verses 7 to 19. If you're a guest with us, we're working our way through the book of Mark, verse by verse, watching Jesus on the move as Mark presents Jesus as our king and shows us what it looks like to follow him. And that's exactly what we will see in this passage, what it looks like to follow Jesus. And the question we will be asking is, do we follow Jesus? Does our life look like this? With all that in mind, we're going to read these verses together and look at Jesus and his disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired And they came to him, and he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, son of thunder. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Cananean and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Mark writes this book to show us the son of God who brings the kingdom of God. This first paragraph that we read is a summary. It shows us everything we've already seen in Jesus and what we will continue to see. It's a chance to review. And so we should do that. Mark presents to us the gospel of the Son of God who brings the kingdom of God. Kingdom is a word that we use over and over again. And as we did in the the beginning in Mark chapter 1, I want to remind you what Mark is talking about when he mentions the kingdom. In Mark, the kingdom means according to God's great plan, God sends his son Jesus to establish his reign in the hearts of his people. God is moving through Jesus Christ to establish his right to rule the way he wants. And he does so in the hearts of his new body of believers. And the good news of this gospel is that it's not because of what these people have done. It's not because of their good works. It's not because of the Pharisees fasting or the way they practice the Sabbath. It is strictly because of God's grace. Brothers and sisters, that's the good news of the gospel. 
what you're doing here today will not save you. The good works you do throughout the week do not add anything to your salvation. Do not give God a reason to bring you to his kingdom. The gospel is that God has done everything necessary for you to be in the kingdom with him through his son, Jesus. He lived a life of obedience. He died on the cross for your sins and disobedience and rose again on the third day. And all you have to do is turn from yourself and put your trust in him. And when you allow him, the king, to reign over your heart, you will be saved. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is that simple. And if you've made your way here today and you are not in Christ, you have not put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, take advantage of the opportunity God has given you today to be a part of his kingdom. Titus 3 verses 4 and 7 says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, don't get so used to that good news that it doesn't move you. That that's not enough for today, right there. But as good as that news is, what Mark is showing us over and over again is that that message doesn't always resonate with people. Not as many people believe it as you would expect. Even the ones you would think would embrace that message, turn away from it, and reject it. This message has brought conflict after conflict. Even the religious leaders in the last passage are plotting to kill Jesus because they hate this gospel. Why? Why are people not embracing it? Why are people not believing it? It's because they don't want the reign of God over their heart. And that's what separates the true believer from someone who is just in it for what they can get. You'll notice in this passage, it starts at the sea, and Jesus has to call for a boat because the crowd is so busy wanting something from Jesus, they almost kill him again. They're putting Jesus in danger because of their wants. And so Jesus separates the crowd and the disciples says, give me a boat. It's time to go. And they move away from the sea, away from the crowd. Jesus leaves the crowd and takes the 12 to the mountain. What Mark is showing us in this passage, friends, is that people who really follow Jesus stand out in the crowd. Not everyone who claims to follow Jesus is in the boat. Not everyone who says they live a life for Jesus gets called up to the mountain. And the people who do follow Jesus stand out. They have a life that stands out. Mark shows us three ways you can tell which one you are. There's three differences between a crowd Christian and an actual disciple. And friends, we need to see this because the entire way our church is, is set up, and I'm not just talking about First Baptist Church, Carl Junction, but the way we do church in America is we want crowd Christians. We're satisfied with crowd Christians. Let's get as many 
people in seats and let's get as many decisions and let's get as, as many parking spots filled and let's get as much money in the bank account as we can. Let's build a crowd and let's not even talk about disciples. But in Jesus' mind, only disciples are in the boat. He's not satisfied with the crowd. In fact, he leaves them behind. So which one are you? Are you a crowd, Christian, or are you a disciple? Well, there's three ways to know. The first difference between a crowd, Christian, and a disciple of Christ is a calling. A disciple has a calling. Look at verses 13 and 14. And Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. Specifically, in verses 13 and the beginning of verse 14, there are four verbs that show Jesus the king having authority over his people. There's four verbs that show how Jesus reigns over our hearts. First, Jesus calls the disciples. That word calls literally means to summon. It's it's a verb with authority. It's not a suggestion. It's not even an invitation. Later in the book of Mark, in chapter 15, when Pilate wants to know something about Jesus, he summons, he calls the centurion to him. The centurion has no option. He is going to Pilate. In the same way, Jesus summons, he calls these disciples to him. The second verb, Jesus calls the ones he desires. The word desires means the ones Jesus wants. The one Jesus chooses. He has a whole flock of people around him and he only chooses 12. This word always in Scripture indicates God's sovereign plan. And this continues, brothers and sisters, in the family of God. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, Paul writes, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. The third verb we see Jesus reigning over hearts, he appoints twelve. We're going to talk about the 12 more next week. But to appoint means to make something. Like Paul made tents. Or like someone might make a fire to make breakfast. Appoint means to make something. In the Greek Old Testament, it's the word that was used in Genesis 1-1. God created the heavens and the earth. God appointed heavens and the earth. In Mark 10, he, he says that God made them male and female. He made them that way. In in Mark 1, when he calls the first disciples, he says, I will make you, I will appoint you to be fishers of men. This is not Jesus choosing these guys because he sees something special. He doesn't say, you guys are, are, are especially gifted in speaking. You're very smart. You're sharp looking. You're going to be a good 12. He doesn't pick them because of something in them. He makes them in who he wants them to be. He appoints. And the fourth verb we see is that Jesus names them the apostles. To name someone in scriptures to have the right of a superior 
the, the authority to determine the purpose of your life. Adam names the animals. God names Abram and Jacob. And Jesus names the disciples. He calls, he desires, he appoints, he names. Friends, how do these verbs help us distinguish who follows Jesus? How do these verbs help us determine whether you're a crowd Christian or a disciple of Christ? A crowd Christian comes to Jesus on their terms. A crowd Christian story is about how they chose to make Jesus a part of their life. But a disciple comes to the king on his terms. A disciple follows the summons of their master. So the first difference, brothers and sisters, is not even a difference in us. It's a difference in Christ. And and some of you may be ready for a debate right here. And you want to argue about some of these words. Let me just be clear. Scripture's not here for a debate. The, The Bible doesn't offer these things as a chance for us to argue sides here. This is for our encouragement. This is for our assurance. Paul tells Timothy in in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that he saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Romans chapter 8 verse 28, Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. We love that promise, don't we? But look at it for me. Who gets the promise? Who receives the assurance that all things work together for their good? Do you notice? It's not the crowd. You can only have the hope that all things work out for your good if you're called. Did you hear this? So don't go tell someone who doesn't believe in Jesus if that's having a tough time that everything's going to work out. That's not true. Unless they're called according to the purpose of grace. That's the assurance Paul gives us in Romans chapter 8. Let me put it into your, your, your life. Why are you here today? Why did you show up? Why do you make church a part of your week? Is it because Jesus can offer you something? Because Jesus can give you something? Or is it because God first has called you to himself. There's a difference. And if God has put a calling on your life, and that's what it means to be a believer, that he has called you into this glorious light, then your life is not your own. You don't get to live on your terms because the king has called you. You don't get to live any way you please because you have a master who has summoned you. Jesus appoints us to a new life that stands out in the crowd. The second difference between a crowd Christian and a disciple is a relationship. A relationship. Look at verse 14. What does Jesus call these disciples, these apostles to do, to be? Verse 14, he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that 
they might be with him. We've all known those people who only come to you when they need something. Or only come to you when they have a project that they need your help with. It's not really about wanting to be with you or get to know you. They need to use you. Jesus is not leading that way. When when Jesus forms his team, he doesn't hand out 12 projects and just send them out. He doesn't send them out on the mission right away and say, let's get to work. The first responsibility he gives these 12 is to spend time with him, to live with him, to pray with him, to eat with him, to struggle with him, to sweat with him, to know him. The work's going to come. They're going to give their life to it. But the fuel for their mission is their relationship. Brothers and sisters, God has made you to be united to him. He's called you to a connection. Before he wants you to do, he wants you to be. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We get so busy with church, with activity, that we tend to stop thinking about our relationship with God. It's so, so much activity, it's so much busyness, it's so much to-do list that we, we forget that what we were wired to be is united to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me just ask you, how is your relationship with the King? If you're a disciple, what is your relationship with the Lord like? And when I ask that, what do you think about? A lot of times, we just, the first thing that we do when someone asks us that, how's your relationship with Jesus, is we think about what we're doing. Well, I'm reading this devotion. I'm listening to this sermon by Charles Stanley. I'm watching these videos. I'm praying like this. I'm doing, I'm serving the Lord this way. This is where I'm serving in the church. This is where I'm serving in the community. Do, 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 do. And it's not even about relationship. Jesus is a real person who sits at the right hand of God and has given you his spirit to live inside of you, to have communion with him. He's a real person who wants you to talk to him, to just sit in his presence. Think of Martha and Mary. He doesn't want you running around the house just trying to figure out how you can serve him. He wants you sitting at his feet. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time the church made room for that? Made that the priority of discipleship. Some of us have have claimed to follow Christ all our life, and we're like the Pharisees. We got all the rituals down pat, but we've never sat with Jesus. And if you've never sat with him in his presence, you don't have that relationship with him. He's not your king. You're not in the kingdom. You're just in the crowd. Here's another way to think about it, to assess where your relationship's at with Jesus. You hear it in the way people talk about heaven. Why do you want to be there? Why do you want to go to heaven? 
is, is what you look forward to in heaven the, the opportunity to see your lost relatives who've left before you? Is that why you want to be there? Do you want to be in heaven because you just want to escape the pain and misery and trouble of this world? Or maybe you just want to be in heaven because you escaped the fire of hell? Is that what you want? Or do you want to be in heaven because you want to be with Jesus? What matters the most to you? Listen to what Jesus wants. John 17, 21. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Look at what Jesus prays. I just want to be with them. I just want to spend time with them in glory. Listen, when you're in heaven, when you're at the king's feet, you're not going to think of anything else. You're not going to think of anybody else. You're not going to want anything else. You'll be like David in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You'll be like the psalmist who in Psalm 73 verses 25 and 26 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Is that where your heart's at? Is that where your relationship with the Lord is at? This is the distinction between a crowd Christian and a disciple. The crowd just runs after Jesus for what they can get. The disciple is satisfied just being with him. And when you're in that kind of relationship, it's obvious. You can't fake it. You can't hide it. It, it creates an urgency and a lifestyle that cannot be duplicated. That's why later in the book of Acts, when the people hear Peter and John, they're amazed because these uneducated, these common men were so powerful. And they knew it was because they had been with Jesus. They had that relationship. That's, that shows us the third difference that Mark's going to show us. This relationship propels us into a mission. You want to know the difference between a crowd Christian and a disciple? One of them lives with a mission. One of them lives with a purpose greater than themselves. One of them lives by faith on mission. Look at verse 14 again. And Jesus appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. The word apostles literally means sent ones. They were called to a relationship, but they weren't called to stay. They weren't called to get comfortable. They weren't called to get used to the way things had always been. 
They were only going to be personally with Jesus for a couple of years, and then they were going to be scattered out into the ends of the earth and face danger and death. They were sent on a mission. Their fellowship with the Lord could not keep them from their service. What was their mission? It was twofold. They had to proclaim, they had to preach the gospel, and they had to demonstrate the power of Jesus in their lives to cast out demons. Friends, you and I are not apostles. That office is closed, but we are sent, and we are disciples, and every disciple is given the same mission. This is what Jesus appoints his people to be. This is what he makes them. Jesus, friends, listen, he crafts every believer, every member of the body into a missionary. If you belong to Jesus, he didn't call you to stay. If you belong to Jesus, he sends you out. You want to know if you're in the crowd or the disciple? Show me where you've been sent. Show me where you are the missionary, proclaiming the gospel and demonstrating the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. John 17, verse 28, as you sent me into the world, Jesus prays, so I have sent them into the world. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that we are ambassadors of Christ, calling on others to be reconciled to God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, Peter says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The crowd, and again, the church, so often, only receives. That's how we even wire things. We, we get plugged into groups and Sunday school classes that basically never end. And we just stay put in our circle of chairs and do Bible study after Bible study. And at no point is there a launch date where we send each other out to go take what we've been taught and pass it on to someone else. We've closed the circle We've locked us into the fellowship, and our relationship never casts us out to proclaim. That's given to the professionals. That's given to the real missionaries. We'll just stay back with the crowd and be satisfied. But you have a mission if you're a disciple of Christ. You have a mission that you will be held accountable to. You have an obligation to live for your master, to represent him as an ambassador. And he's going to ask you, how have you been a steward of this mission that I've given you? Friend, where have you been sent? Where is it? While you're there, how are you proclaiming? How are you preaching the gospel? Notice, I didn't say, how are you showing kindness? How are you being good? How are you verbally proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom that God is establishing his reign over the hearts of his people? 
What's that look like for you day to day? How are you showing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? What does that look like? How are you demonstrating that something has so significantly happened in your life that the only explanation is that God is working? That can't be you. It has to be the Lord. Listen, brothers and sisters, everything that God has ever brought to you, every truth you've ever learned, every lesson you've ever learned at church, every scripture you've ever memorized, God brought to you so that you would use it to pass on to someone else. How much is in your inventory, how much is in your spiritual bank account that God has deposited and you've never written the check? How much do you still have to give? This right here is not meant for you. It's meant for you to be taken to someone else. Now, how much would change if that's the way we came in to the body? If that's the way we came into a Bible study, if that's the way we came into a it wasn't about what we receive. It's about what we were given to steward to be sent out to proclaim. How much would your life change if that's the way we thought? Our relationship with Jesus should cause us to look at everything we do, every conversation we have, as an opportunity to point to the king. I wanted to do a, an exercise with you briefly. Imagine with me, we have some friends that we've supported here at the church who are getting ready to leave everything behind to go plant a church in Japan. They're leaving everything. They're giving it all away. They're giving their life away. To go to a place where a church does not exist And start from scratch, proclaim the name of Christ in the hopes that God would call people to himself and raise up a family of God in their community so that they could show the power of God in their lives. Now imagine with me, friends, that you went with them. Imagine that you join their church plant team. And it means you're giving up everything here and you're going to go to Japan and start anew. Let me ask you, how would you make your decisions? How would you choose where you were going to live? Where your house or apartment would be? Would you just pick anywhere in town? Or would it be somewhere that's close enough that you can do life with the people in this new church plant and you can invest your time and energy in what's going on in that community? How would you choose how you spent your time during the week? Would you just do whatever you want 24-7 and hang out at your house and do your thing and watch your TV show? Or would you systematically think about every hour of the day, every day of the week, how it could be best used to further the mission of God. If you took everything, gave it to the Lord, and went to Japan and, and, and started this work anew, how would you spend your money? How would you pick your relationships? 
and which ones to invest time and energy in. You thinking through these things? Now let me ask you this. How much different would those choices be than the ones you make right now? You're a missionary right now. You're called to the Lord's work today. You're called to give everything to the Lord today. Your life's not your own. You belong to the mission to proclaim the king right now. The way you would choose to spend your time, energy, money, and relationships in Japan is how you're supposed to do it right now. But we just operate as if church is this Sunday 10, 15 kind of thing and the rest of my life is my life. Doesn't matter how connected I am to the body. Doesn't matter how often I'm investing in relationships and proclaiming what I've been taught. Doesn't matter what kind of decisions I'm making with my time and my finances. I'm not on a mission. Brothers and sisters, remember what the Lord has called us to be and to do. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And look, you can see in that passage all three of these distinctions. There's a calling. All authority has been given to me. Go. There's a relationship. I am with you always. And there is a mission. Make disciples. Brothers and sisters, let me ask you again. Which one are you? Really? Are you just a part of the crowd? Or has God made you a disciple? A disciple who makes disciples. Hear me, brothers and sisters. God has shown us this for his glory. If you're not a disciple, you're not in the boat at all. And you have an opportunity today to turn to the Lord and become a disciple. That's what it means to be in the kingdom. To to let go of everything. To follow the Lord on his mission. Crowd or a disciple? One more question for you. Which one do we want this church to be? If you call this place home, if this is your mission, what do you want? Crowds or disciples? What's going to make a difference in this community, what's going to make a difference in this world, friends, listen, is not another church with mobs of people just shopping for what they want, looking to see if this meets their need, if this meets their preferences, if this is exactly the way they want it to be. That's going to make no difference in this world of materialism and consumerism. What will make a difference is a band of brothers a family of God who's been called by God into this deep, intimate fellowship and relationship with Christ and with one another who give everything in their life to the mission of the gospel. If we would dedicate ourselves to that, that would stand out in the crowd. That would shock people. 
It would move people. And it would change people. But brothers and sisters, do we want that? Or are we satisfied just being in the crowd? May we be a band of brothers, a sisters, ready to make disciples, to give everything we have to the Lord of the harvest. Let us pray.